audio check. On this episode, we talk the growing field of functional medicine. Hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone. This is RX Radio, and I'm your host, Richard Waith, and I have with me today Dr. Melody Hartzler. Welcome to the show, Melody. Thank you. I'm really excited about today's topic. It's it's a little interesting uh, because it's it's very different, I would probably say, to uh, a lot of the different um, episodes we've had on here. So today we're going to talk about um, functional medicine, and I'm sure we'll get into a lot of other things, but that'll be kind of like the core highlight of the episode. Um, but before we dive into that, uh, can you first tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure. So my name is Melody Hartzler and I um, have been a pharmacist for a little over a decade now, which um, seems like just yesterday at times, but um, definitely a lot of um, learning in that in that time period. I went to Ohio Northern University, so I'm a polar bear. Um, I know there's a lot of ONU graduates out there. Um, but I went to do a residency after graduation at the VA in Columbus. So I spent a year doing a PBY1 with an emphasis in um, ambulatory care. So it was all outpatient facilities. So um, really, I knew, like, I, you know, I learned about pharmacy or became a pharmacy, you know, technician in high school and a community pharmacy setting. And I knew that I liked you know, outpatient type practice, but I knew I wanted a little bit different setting than community. So the ambulatory care was really um, personality and just, you know, what I wanted to do. I always, you know, I appreciate my acute care colleagues so much, but I just, it wasn't my thing. I'd like, you know, rather be anywhere but a hospital. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I do outpatient management still. I'm embedded in the family, credit, a family medicine office. And um, throughout that, I have done work in academia, so I still teach part-time at Cedarville University School of Pharmacy. And so when I first um, was hired on there, I was helping to build the School of Pharmacy in um, 2010. And then for six years, I worked full-time for them. And my practice site was a federally qualified healthcare center. And so I really... um, got to be able to learn a lot about diabetes management. And I actually tried not to be a diabetes expert because I was like so tired of titrating insulin because in 2009, we didn't have a lot of treatment options in the VA system for diabetes um, because Bridurian had just sort of come to the market. I I think they might have come out a little earlier than that, but you know, the VA system was a little bit behind um, on some of those things. And so we were using very huge GLP-1 agonists. Obviously, SGLP-2 inhibitors hadn't hit the market yet. So it was a lot of just insulin titration and discussion about carbs. And I just felt like I was saying the same thing over and over and over. And so I was like, oh, I want to be an asthma pharmacist. So I you know, studied and took this asthma education educator um, certification exam and came back to the SQHC. And like, there was like, there were no asthma patients at the FQHC because they were being managed by the pediatric residents across town at the children's hospital. So, mm-hmm. you know, essentially the patients that needed help at the FQHC were patients with A1Cs of 10 and 16 and, you know, people that really um, needed help with their diabetes. So it was really fun during that time frame to learn a lot about diabetes management, especially as the newer agents were coming to market and learn how to use them appropriately and dive into the, you know, how do we use these you know, with insulin and how much insulin do we reduce to start these things. So it was, it was a really good learning time for me. And then, um, after I had my 
daughter, um, we both sort of, you know, started, there was a lot of health things that were starting to be recognized. And I had sort of a traumatic birthing experience without the conversation for another day. Um, but I think that sort of like hit the nail on the coffin sort of in like, you know, causing some of my symptoms to arise. And I, I started to deal. My whole story um, is on my blog in the about me section at um, farm to table, P-H-A-R-M to table, T-A-B-L-E. I mean, the two is T-O. Um, and we can probably, I'm sure you maybe have show notes. We can probably link it. Yeah, but the, um, yep. Yeah. So there, my about me page, you know, explains it in full detail, but essentially a lot of gastrointestinal type issues that I was having. And then my daughter was having allergies and eventually had eczema. And so that just sort of led us down this path of, you know, what can we do to like heal the body of this versus, um, you know, actually just covering up with, you know, medications or some, you know, covering up the symptoms. And so that's really when I started to dive into some of the functional medicine literature and, you know, started to seek providers that were practicing in that way. And so that was my daughter's um, going to be six in March. So that was, you know, almost six years ago now. And so I, you know, definitely have learned a lot. And, um, you know, I feel like in looking back on that, it seemed like such a, you know, stressful time and the time of like uncertainty and I just really felt like God is using, you know, that in my story to be able to impact more people in the future. Um, but you don't your hindsight's obviously twenty twenty, so you don't see that in the midst of um the challenge. Um so but it was it was cool to go through that growing experience, learn this whole new, you know, approach to medicine that was obviously not taught to us because there's not time to teach us traditional medicine and, you know, this integrative medicine um in school and the curriculum. Yeah. That makes sense. in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. Now, what are, what are you doing now? Before we really dive into the functional medicine thing, what are you doing now? Like, what's your current role, um, I guess, yeah. day-to-day? So, I wear a lot of hats, um, but three days a week, I practice in a family medicine office at Western Medicine Family Physicians, and so we are a private practice family medicine, so I really enjoy that because there's a little bit less bureaucracy because there's, I mean, there's still office politics like there is everywhere, but... Um, there's, you know, there's a leadership team of three people that, you know, are the people that I, you know, Hey, we want to do this. This is, you know, something that's potentially impactful for our patients and our practice. And it, you know, is the positive revenue and okay, let's do it. You know, instead of months of, you know, trying to get something pushed through committees and things like that. So I really like private practice and, um, I really, Ohio, um, expanded our consult agreements about the same time I came over to this practice. And so I really have a lot of autonomy and um, we have collaborative practice agreements. So I have collaborative practice agreements for diabetes, for um, hypertension, asthma, COPD, um, IBS, which is a lot of the functional medicine um, things that we do in the office. And then also for, um, you know, just a general nutritional deficiency type um, thing. So I have lots of opportunity. I would say most of my patient, my patient focus is diabetes and, and some hypertension because that's a lot of what our outcomes that we are measured on, you know, like as far as like we were part of CPC plus, which is a comprehensive primary care program that's being run by Medicare is sort of like a pilot um, across um, several states, but we're part of that. And they're looking at us and our numbers for how many people we have that are A1C above nine and how many people don't have blood pressure control. And then also looking at some, you know, um, hospitalization, like people that get hospitalized for non, you know, things that could have been prevented. Um, and then also ER, a number of ER visits for non-emergent um, care, which obviously is a hard, hard marker to move. Um, but 
so I, in that office, see patients for one-on-one visits. And then I also really build through an infinite two model. And then um, I have a residence. So I started a residency program uh, about two years ago. So I'm on my second residence. So um, two years after there, we decided that we could expand um, through that. And so I have her. And last year, my resident started seeing patients for annual wellness visits. Um, so my resident this year is continuing that. And so they're offering pretty much, you know, some providers will do some annual wellness visits. But we really try to encourage that annual wellness visits are done by the pharmacist. So um, we are performing those on behalf of, of the physicians. And there's not a physical exam portion um, for those. And so there's, um, you know, opportunity for, you know, the residents to be an extension of the practice, the providers, you know, in the office. And the same incident to billing model. But because there's not a physical exam, you don't have to bring in a provider to, you know, do a basic physical assessment during that time. So the resident is working on that. And um, I do a little bit of that as needed, but not as much as the resident. And then we also are involved in our transitional care service. And so we, I came to the practice, they weren't um, billing TCM codes for hospital follow-up. They were only billing for um, just a regular, you know, E&M visit. And so through us, you know, establishing a process for there to be a phone call within the 48 hours, um, actually two attempts to call the patient um, in 48 business hours um, post-discharge, and then us calling and seeing how they're doing, making a med reconcil- offering med reconciliation, um, offering the patient appointment, then the, farm- the physician is able to bill at a higher um, visit code because there's specific visit codes for hospital follow-ups if you incorporate some of that process. So it's really good because, you know, there's times when I've caught like, you know, patient with a valve, like let's put on a new anticoagulant that has no data, you know, in valve stations. And so I'm calling the cardiologist I'm like, Oh yeah, good catch. We need to put her back on warfarin. And so things like that, that I don't think um, would be a picked up if a pharmacist wasn't making that call or, you know, person that knows the drug therapy. Mm-hmm. So that's been a cool role to fill as well. And so I also use, you know, students to help make those calls. And so my AFI students are involved in, um, some of that as well. So the last thing we do is the functional medicine piece. And so that's where we're digging um, down. So I guess this sort of gets into what is functional medicine. Solid segue. Um, (laughs) Yes. So functional medicine, um, in my mind is, I mean, there's obviously definitions out there by Institute of Functional Medicine, things like that, which you know, have seven key principles, but the basics is that it's really like a framework that you can really address the underlying cause of disease. And so the classic example I like to use is in, in irritable bowel syndrome. So irritable bowel syndrome is not some idiopathic diarrhea constipation just starts to happen, right? There's actually like a reason that's happening in most cases. And so, um, you know, and I think the biggest example we see, you know, is patients with IBSD. You know, we learn so much about that, that it's actually typically a dysbiosis or an imbalance in bacteria that causes that, which is why we use drugs like bisfactin, which is an antibiotic to correct the dysbiosis so that the patient doesn't have the symptom anymore. And so we look at that kind of framework from with different, you know, all kinds of disease states, but gut health is really an integral part of our whole health as a person. And so the gut integrity, 70% of the immune system lies in our gut associated lymphoid tissue. And so, you know, when your gut is not, it has, does not have good integrity, you know, you have, you know, poor immune function, you have start to develop allergies, you start to develop eczema, 
things like that. Um, so there's a whole host of, you know, sequela, I guess you could say, of things that happen if your gut is not um, in good shape or if the bacteria is out of balance. And there's certain bacteria that can contribute to, you know, there's this whole gut-brain axis discussion, like mood disorders. Are there ways that we can influence changes in the biome that can, you know, impact changes in someone's mood? And so they're studying, you know, certain probiotic strands and their influence on anxiety or depression. Um, but I think, you know, people hear a lot the term leaky gut, um, which I'm not sure if you've, you know, come across that term, but essentially it's, you know, the mainstream term for, um, for the colloquial, however, you know, just people that aren't medical would call it that. But essentially it's this hyperpermeability and this inflammation in the gut um, that can lead to like translocation of things across the membrane, you know, that, you know, antigens and things like that being presented to the immune system that really shouldn't have been, you know, crossing into that, um, the crossing across those enterocytes. And so we get, you know, heightened, you know, um, immune system, which can lead to autoimmune disorders. So there's a lot of discussion in literature on this intestinal permeability and um, contributing to autoimmune disorders, things like Hashimoto's, things like, um, you know, rheumatoid arthritis and fibromyalgia and, and things like that. So really, you know, a lot of times we have patients that have a lot of these systemic symptoms that you can address some things going on in their gut and then they actually start to um, get rid of some of the systemic symptoms that they're experiencing. It was, you know, some abdominal, right-sided abdominal pain that was constantly there and everyone's like, you're fine, you know, you don't need a scope, you're fine, there's nothing, you know, we can do for you, but, you know, it's like, but I still have pain every day, like, what's causing that? And that's really the like, functional um, stuff going on in my case. I was able to be treated um, and then now I don't have that, you know, anymore. So whereas if people continue down the path of our traditional model, they might be on antispasmodics or, you know, I get so um, annoyed by insurance companies that I submit a prescription for Zyfaxin, which is an antimicrobial antibiotic to treat the, um, dysbiosis. And they're like, you have to try dexlocamine first. And it's like, really? Like, that's not even the same class of medications. Like, yes, it's for IBS, but it's not doing at all the same thing. And mm -hmm. so that's where sometimes some of this is challenging. But overall, um, you know, we're able to reduce antibodies in patients that have Hashimoto's. We see their antibodies come down um, with nutritional therapy approaches and also some nutraceuticals, which, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you have, you know, Hashimoto's, all we can do for you is, you know, adjust your thyroid medications. But that's not true. Like there's other ways to, to influence that. Um, and then we can use less thyroid medication sometimes. Um, so we do a lot in the office with... Um, with autoimmune things, a lot of people, you know, really our focus is gut health. There's a lot of correlation. I'm giving a CE presentation in a couple of weeks on correlation. Um, one at NCPA, if any of your listeners are at NCPA um, coming up this month, I'm going to be there on Monday morning talking about the influence of the microbiome on um, metabolic syndrome. And so we're going to go through, you know, sort of the connection between the imbalances in the gut and even some of this inflammation in the gut to the development of metabolic syndrome. And then also um, looking at some patient cases and how we approach metabolic syndrome a little bit differently from a functional standpoint. So I'm still trying to uh, gather how someone would really differentiate functional medicine from what, I guess, how normal, like a normal pharmacist would be practicing or... Um, or normal healthcare would, uh, practitioner would be out practicing. So what, 
how can you like distinguish, well, okay, if a pharmacist says, well, I'm actually going to be approaching this from a functional standpoint versus some other standpoint, what, what's the, what's the like the sure. distinction? Sure. So like the process is definitely longer as far as like, if I'm in taking someone um, to treat them with a functional medicine approach, we give them a survey that like goes back to like birth and ask questions about, you know, were you breastfed? Were you vaginally delivered? And then some 30 year old people don't have a clue, um, <laughs> you know, what that, um, process was but you know looking at stressor points in their life so there's this matrix and this timeline that's part of the functional medicine um, process and so you know did they parents had a divorce at age six and that's when a lot of these abdominal symptoms started or you know was in was a, a different stressor were they exposed to you know there's people that are golfers out of the golfers and you know they might be exposed to a lot of um chemicals on the lawns of all these golf courses and so maybe some of their symptoms are you know stemming from that but i can imagine that in most standard you know primary care practices if someone comes in with like headaches or these allergy symptoms but people aren't normally peeling back the layers that far um to see you know what kind of things could have you know been influenced because there's a whole conversation about we have you know, epi- we have this epigenetic process that's happening, so we have genetics. But what's turned on and turned off throughout your life, your life course, is based on your environmental influences. And so, functional medicine really, you know, looks at those environmental influences and sees, um, you know, where we can sort of, you know, change the course um, for somebody. And so, with gut example, so you know, functional medicine pharmacist or provider would also be like doing a comprehensive stool test and using tools to see how they're like I had a patient today this afternoon um with severe constipation and so, you know, looking at she also doesn't have a gallbladder and so does she need support for her digestion, like whether that be bile um or, you know, oxbile or some kind of um, bitters to help, you know, her body make its own bile to be able to digest her foods. Um, There's other patients I've had that are, you know, because there's a lot of correlation between the metabolic syndrome, I'm always asking my diabetes patients how their gut is moving, if they're having constipation, diarrhea, what their bowels look like. Um, But a lot of times I find we do have a lot of, you know, there's a lot of connection. And so a lot of the patients we're doing stool tests with, you know, we're helping them get over a lot of those symptoms. But there's, you know, some things that are, you know, you can make certain changes that are, you know, able to reverse symptoms, but then you've got things like hiatal hernias that, you know, are contributing to someone's third that, you know, you can't influence that um, and change that. Of course, you know, obviously a lot of times those are just watched unless they're severe enough to require surgery. But GERD is a good example. So, you know, if a patient comes to me that has heartburn, you know, I'm not going to recommend a PTI. We all know that there is lots of data now talking about the, and even insurance companies are trying to limit the use of PTIs because of the data um, showing um, some of the poor outcomes um, related to that. A lot of, you know, fractures is a big one we think about because of the calcium absorption, yeah. but even um, stroke and, you know, other things later on based on PTI users. And so, um, I'm going to look at it as why they have heartburn. Do they have it because, um, I mean, the answer is normally not because there's too much stomach acid. It's a lot of times, sometimes they don't have enough stomach acid to digest their foods. And then they've got this food bolus like pushing pressure back on um, the sphincter. But sometimes it's just more, you know, an allergic. It can be an allergic response to something. It can be... Um, 
manipulation may be needed, which is obviously not necessarily a pharmacist role, but I work with some great um, DO physicians and have relationships with chiropractors and sometimes manipulation might help, you know, someone in that area. Um, and then, you know, addressing the inflammation, if it's a gastritis, like let's take care of that. So I had a patient um, last year and she's actually one of the ones I'm going to present at NCPA, but she had some good symptoms, came to me with new diagnosis of diabetes and A1C of 6.5. She had elevated liver enzymes and um, a lot of abdominal bloating and um, distension. And so we ran um, a GI MAP test and, and found out she had H. pylori. So the standard treatment for H. pylori would be, um, you know, a four-drug combination um, that probably rids your body of any good bacteria you ever have, ever, right? Yeah. Um, with all those antibiotics. And so we approached it with some data from um, a nutraceutical called Mastic Gum um, that's in a product. And we use that product alongside berberine to help with her um, blood sugars and the liver function. Um, she made dietary changes and we retested to make sure the HPLRA was gone after the treatment and it was. Um, so it was gone and she was feeling great. Her A1C went back to um, in the five and she, you know, didn't have any abdominal symptoms anymore. So you, um, you so used after that in we, place of the antibiotic regimen? Yeah. Yeah. We used in place antibiotic regimen. Um, and all this is in collaboration with the physicians. I'm not out there doing this on my own. Um, it's all with, you know, our primary care team um, and a nurse practitioner in our office that works really closely um, with us. But so in her case, you know, it was diet was, you know, altered, you know, also, you know, adding in exercise. So it's really a multifactorial. There's a, when we're talking about GI health, um, there's sort of this like uh, four R's um, scenario. Um, in functional medicine, and the first one is remove. And so, when we're looking at when we have abdominal symptoms and we evaluate it, do we have a potentially pathogenic organism in the gut? Is whether it's yeast or bacteria or parasite, we want to identify that. And so, we're going to you know remove that pathogen, whether that's through a nutraceutical or a um, you know antibiotic. And so sometimes we use Cybactin, sometimes we use Bactrim. This is what we're testing, you know, what we're, so one of the tests we use does do a culture, although cultures can be a little bit challenging when we're talking about GI health because it's not like our guts are like a petri dish, you know, we have so many other microorganisms going on in the gut that can make using antibiotics and, you know, the whole antibiotic resistance and how things change based on, you know, what's there is a little bit challenging. But for the most part, um, you know, following our, culture and sensitivity for that has been successful um but then the next part after the remove the next R is replace and that is um when you're looking at you know insufficient stomach acid digestive enzymes even nutrient deficiencies so sometimes b vitamins can you know if you're deficient in certain b vitamins like that can contribute to worsening constipation um or energy you know and things like that and then um the next one is like re-inoculate and so that's where we you know Get, gotten rid of the overgrowth of the bad bacteria, but we want to start to try to re-inoculate the gut with good bacteria. So we'll move into, you know, using sometimes that requires high-dose probiotics. The challenge with this stuff is that the data is limited on like how we actually influence the microbiome to change it to like keep good bacteria there. A lot of evidence shows that once you stop taking a probiotic, that the effects are gone and it doesn't actually reseed the gut. Um, Yep. There's some strains that, you know, we've 
found um, to be able to do that. Yeah, one of the so, one of the questions uh, I had to you know you talked about the uh, looking at the literature. What are some like? What are the resources like in the functional medicine world? Um, is it where yeah. it's like sporadic, or is there like a central place where uh, practitioners practicing, you know, in that realm can can kind of re- um, resort to? Yeah. So hopefully, our article that we just submitted to AJHC gets published, and we have a nice chart in there um, of resources. But I think it is sort of sporadic. So, you know, you can obviously a lot of times, whether I'm talking, um, you know, conventional medicine or functional medicine, I'm looking in PubMed to see what, you know, they're on certain things. Um, there are some great naturopathic physicians that have podcasts that I follow, like Kara Fitzgerald is one, um, and it's called, um, New Frontiers in Functional Medicine is her podcast. And so that one has been really great for me because she interviews like all these great minds, people that are studying and researching like certain interventions and um, they share clinical experience and different things. So I really enjoyed that because I, you know, have a three minute commute to my office so I can listen to the episodes and finish it on the way home. Um, but there's lots of training opportunities. So there's um, the School of Applied Functional Medicine. There's the master's programs that have started. There's the Institute of Functional Medicine. Um, some of those are a little bit expensive. And so um, that's why I started um, my newest um, website, which I know we were uh, going to talk to at some point, but it's called um, functionalmedicinece.com. And so my goal is really to offer um, functional medicine continuing education to pharmacists so that they can credit it towards their continuing education requirements and also make it at a price point that's reasonable um, for them to be able to um, dive in a little bit and figure out if this is, you know, something that they really want to do. And then, you know, if they want to commit, you know, the really expensive money to do a master's program or a certificate program and things like that, that they, you know, can have some basis and understanding of functional medicine before they get there um, to, you know, diving in. A lot of people, I feel like a lot of people in the functional medicine community have really learned from personal experience and like in my, similar to my situation um, or personal experience with parent or spouse um, might have been, you know, sort of why they went down this path. A lot of times it comes from people, you know, the door sort of shutting on, okay, there's, you know, no real drugs for this, or there's you're fine, like, and people just realizing they're not fine, and mm-hmm. finding someone that finally understands um, how to, you know, address their symptoms. And so, you know, really, I mean, the same process of looking at things. I use natural medicine conference database a lot for like the supplement drug interactions. Um, I use um, some of the like companies that actually supply some of the like professional grade supplements have great webinars and resources uh monographs like on you know different product things um but i think you know yeah so using them as resources because they you know i for example there's a curcumin product we use a lot and you know their resources already have the monograph created it already talks about the drug interactions you know and so um as pharmacists you can sign up with providers with a lot of them for wholesale prices but also um they give you the resources once you create an account and so some of those even emerson ecologic and full script are both um sort of like wholesalers and that wholesale a lot of the different professional grade supplements and they have webinars and some databases that are on their website once you have a professional account so 
there's lots of different marine opportunities and they're, um, you know, some are going to be better than others as far as, you know, what you're interested in. The challenge I think with functional medicine too is that it's like everything, like people are like, well, you know, where is the literature behind functional medicine? I'm like, well, there's functional medicine approaches to treating almost every condition. So where do you start, you know, with conversations about that? Yeah. Which is why a lot of times I start with um, conversations about the gut and like IBS and vivo because there's a lot of literature in that area and growing like the microbiome. I did some blog post series on farm to table over the last year on probiotics and I was like, man, I shouldn't have started this because it's just so much information and there's so much we don't know um, also about probiotics um, and how they influence and which strains are the best and, and things like that. But it's exciting to see that the research is moving forward. I mean, to think that we're now using, you know, immunotherapy with, you know, peanut protein plus probiotics to help kids, you know, be symptom-free of peanut allergy is like amazing. Um, but thinking like what else we can do, you know, utilizing the microbiome. So as far as those other things, um, with the, the four R's, so there was the remove, replace, renoculate, and then the last part of that is repair. And I think um, I would even probably add like a last after that is to prevent this from happening again part, which all, you know, the reinoculate is obviously part of that. But um, sometimes motility needs addressed in order to prevent things like SIBO from happening again. Um, but repair is really like helping the body to heal the gut lining. And there's lots of data for things like slippery elm and DGL, um, both in heartburn and gastritis. Um, and then, you know, zinc is, is an important piece of um, reestablishing the cell wall. So we use a lot of zinc carnitine. Um, L-glutamine has data in reducing um, intestinal permeability so there's a lot of like products out there that have multiple of those ingredients that you can use um to sort of help do the gut lining so i have an article on farm to table that um talks about you know how to try not to use ppis and some approaches and so um some of those kinds of things are things we think about when someone's you know got some gastritis and, and has um you know the reflux so um, the last, you know, thing also to consider, you know, after we've sort of gone through that process, sometimes we will consider, are there any sensitivities um, that patients are, you know, potentially causing, you know, the um, symptoms as well. And so I don't typically start with that because when people have inflamed um, GI tracts, they'll react to a ton of different foods. And you're not going to want to tell someone to take out like 50 different foods from their diet. Like that's not real life. Um, but once we start healing the gut, we don't see as many of those intolerances, but maybe there's a couple things that are really triggering symptoms that they need to back off for a while until they're, you know, feeling a lot better and try to reintroduce. So food intolerances really should be temporary and they should be things that we most of the time can correct, um, you know, and heal the gut. But there's sometimes things that people still can't handle, but it's okay if it's one or two things. We don't want to restrict someone's diet so much that they're not eating enough fiber, they're not, you know, feeding their microbiome and getting enough nutrients um, and things like that. So hopefully that helps sort of walk through, like, how we, you know, maybe address things differently than maybe the conventional approach. Yeah, well, I mean, I honestly feel like no one needs to even pay for a master's because I feel like we probably just went through most of what you need to know. <laughs> um, but no, well, those super yeah, detailed information. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> super detailed I mean, There's info. lots and lots of 
love things that I am still learning every day, which is part of the reason why I really like this. I feel like it challenges, it really challenges your brain to go back to your, I wish like I could paid attention a lot more in biochemistry <laughs> because they really, you know, there's one test called the Nutri-Eval test that we use from Genova Diagnostics that actually prints out the Krebs cycle and shows you like the um, pieces of the Krebs cycle that it tests and where the nutrients are needed to influence like the cycles to essentially produce, you know, the energy that we're trying to produce. And so it'll say, you know, you need more B12 or you need more magnesium. And it'll highlight the area of the Krebs cycle where you're not getting, you know, the cycle processing the way it should. But I'm just like, man, that was a long time ago. I yeah. need to like refresher on biochem. <laughs> definitely. So, so it definitely sounds so like yeah. there, there'd be a lot of uh, benefits to kind of having like an organized group um, where you can network and learn things and share resources. And it, it seems like there is a, a, a new organization that's formed. Uh, with the gaining popularity yes. of functional medicine. So can you tell us yeah, a little bit about yeah. that and the uh, upcoming event? Sure. Yeah. So Lauren Koppel, um is the uh, another pharmacist that started the Functional Medicine Pharmacy Alliance. And so the abbreviation is FMPHA. Um, and so she has done a phenomenal job at really just like a grassroots, like trying to get people together. And thankfully, social media has allowed that to happen too with people on Facebook joining the group. And so there's a group of almost a thousand or more pharmacists that are, um, you know, in some kind of practice. Some of them are independent pharmacists looking for ways to expand services beyond dispensing because we know that that really is, you know, a changing market. And so there's independent pharmacists are doing a lot of these type services alongside, you know, practitioners in their community or even cash-based services for patients. There's pharmacists like myself that are, you know, embedded in primary care or some kind of office practice. There's a lot of pharmacists doing this in a consulting um, telehealth thing. Um, telehealth can get a little, you know, leery sometimes with the state laws and crossing state lines and taking care of patients in different places. Um, so I'm um, still trying to navigate that process for our um, practice. But overall, there's a lot of growing opportunity and interest in this area. And so because a lot of the training is really expensive, I, you know, every day people are like, I want more information about functional medicine and I want more CE. And I submitted a couple of proposals um, to some national organization meetings and I had spoken at the meetings before um, and they just always said, well, there's not enough interest so we're not going to do this topic. But at one of the meetings, I had done a pre-diabetes, um, just 30 minutes of a one and a half hour session was on pre-diabetes and the functional medicine approach to, to addressing that, I had like people out the door like wanting to ask questions about this because they were so interested. A lot of them were like personal questions too, like, oh, this is you know my dad or my mom or me, you know, and wanting um, to learn more about it. And so I thought, you know, there really is an interest out there. It's just that the people being surveyed by these national organizations broadly probably don't know um, as much about this functional medicine as, as the, you know, the pockets of people that are interested. So that's sort of where my website, thefunctionalmedicineCE.com. You can type in functionalmedicineCE.com or you can type in FX, which is, you know, the abbreviation for functional. Um, FXmedCE.com is also um, works. And I also have my Facebook page is FXmedCE as well as the Instagram um, profile. And so we're really trying to, you know, sort of change, you know, the fact that functional medicine education is expensive and make it affordable. And so our first symposium is November 9th. Um, and so our 
um, well, that day we're going to sort of start with an introduction of functional medicine. Um, Lauren Castle, the one I just mentioned, is going to do that and also talk about, and she's going to walk through very specifically the Institute of Functional Medicine framework. And I, you know, I talk a little bit about, but hers will be much more in detail. And then um, talk about the nutrient depletion from certain medications. So that's a whole other area of like certain medications. Obviously, we know the big ones like CoQ10 and statins and, you know, B12. And that, and that there's a lot of other things, um, you know, other medications that can deplete certain nutrients that we as pharmacists would be great people to address, right? And it's um, a, is it a virtual symposium? Yes. Yeah, so virtual. So you don't have to go anywhere. You can sit on your couch. You can sit in a coffee shop. Um, and so that being like, I know so many budgets, from CE budgets for pharmacists are cut. You know, they don't have as much funds to travel as maybe they used to. You know, a lot of us are trying to hold down family and a home and kids. And so it's hard to like fly somewhere, spend the money on the hotel and the airplane and all of that. And then, you know, once you get there, you're on your phone trying to communicate because your kids are okay or something, you know, you're not even yeah. able to like engage. <laughs> and so I'm hoping that, um, you know, doing, having this virtual education will then allow, you know, people to really just block off that time. You know, it's not as much time because it's just that same time on Saturday, not even the whole entire day. You know, we're talking like, you know, three hours in the morning, four hours in the afternoon or four hours in the morning, three hours in the afternoon um, of being able to, you know, learn about this and so there is um some networking opportunities as well and one of the packages includes like being put in a networking group based on your interest and um you know connected with other people you know they're doing similar things across the country and you know having zoom meetings as a follow-up to the conference um so the morning will be spent you know with the introduction and also i'm going to do a more in-depth presentation about um dysbiosis and vivo um, and how to address that. And then following that, um, Laura Zakaria is a pharmacist that is um, also a nutritionist. And so she went and did her master's and is a um, certified nutritional um, practitioner. And so she um, is going to talk about immune system function related to the gut. And so we're going to sort of build on that whole um, conversation that the gut is really, you know, integral to our health. And, you know, Hippocrates said, you know, all disease begins in the gut. And it really wasn't far, you know, from the truth and how, you know, how long that ago that was. Um, so she's going to talk about immune system and the gut. And then in the afternoon, um, there's going to be some hormone um, discussion. And so we're also going to talk about how hormone dysregulation can occur in gut dysfunction, um, but then also talk about, you know, bioidentical hormones versus, you know, um, commercial products and talk a little about protocols for testing hormones. Um, so the lady that, the first lady that's doing that in the afternoon, Sahar, she's like, been a professor at multiple institutions. She's um, also involved with A4M, which is another um, integrative medicine um, organization that provides a lot of training. Um, a lot, you know, they have a lot of physicians, you know, physicians that go to their meetings, and they have uh, certification programs as well as the Institute of Functional Medicine. So A4M is another resource um, in addition to the IFM. But yeah, so. November 9th, functionalmedicine.com, virtual symposium. I'm hoping my goal is to have, um, eventually have three or four of these symposiums each year. And then there's also like on-demand packages. So if people aren't able to attend on November 9th, um, they can, you know, have the on-demand videos and still get CE for those. Um, so I'm excited. I'm, I have, you know, we have people registering already. So we're excited that, you know, people are interested and um, excited to see you know, where this goes. And I mean, ultimately my goal, I mean, we want people to, pharmacists to be able to engage patients and take care of them in this way because I really feel like, you know, it's the future of medicine and 
And really, you know, I have a colleague who's a DO physician and he always says, well, functional medicine shouldn't be a specialty. It should be how we treat, you know, people. Yeah. We should be, you know, approaching every case like this. Um, and it's challenging in our current healthcare system because in 15 minutes, a primary care provider can't do this. You know, it's not possible to get through all this information and get through this education, you know, in that time frame. And so that's really where we have to come up with innovative models to be able to introduce this um, in these, you know, concepts into into our healthcare system. And so group visits is one of those ways. Um, so I foresee, you know, a future conference um, talking about group visits and how those can be used to, um, whether at a pharmacy or even, you know, ambulatory care site. I've personally used group visits a lot with diabetes um, and have a publication on that. But we've started to do some of the group visits. So we still need some refining in our process and our current practice. But it can be a great way to help get a lot of education out um, and also still, you know, individually see the patient and address concerns um, as yeah. well. So it's an exciting time for functional medicine. I feel like there's um, there's so many cool opportunities. Sometimes I find myself like in ten different directions. Which way do I go? Um, and trying to like hone in on, you know, I really think gut health is really my my passion. Um, a lot from personal experience, but also, you know, I've seen so much improvement in my patients. I mean, I wonder. I've, Last week, I know you're probably like listening to the cat talking because the thing needs to end. But no. um, I had I had one lady uh, or guy last week that came to me lifetime of like constipation, diarrhea, alternating, um, and he, you know, we did a stool test. He had a calcitoxin of like 97, um, and he was never told he had inflammatory bowel disease. He always was just labeled as IBS, and so he's obviously got some significant inflammation with the high of the calcitoxin. And um, he actually had a yeast um, in his gut that was um, one that was not common. It's not, it wasn't candida. And so the treatment recommendation was voriconazole. And I was like, oh, my goodness, voriconazole is sort of expensive. And so his insurance, like, it was going to be crazy. And I finally found this voriconazole cost, though, for, like, $97, which I was like, other pharmacies were telling me it was, like, 30 or $300 just to order it. And I was like, wow. okay, you better go to Costco and get that before they change that price. <laughs> So, um, so essentially he went and got it and I talked to him today on the phone and he has not had any GI symptoms since he started therapy. He, I mean, he's not just taking the work on all. We're also addressing inflammation with interrogam, which is, um, an IgG, um, bovine, serum derived, um, bovine IgG, um, and then also some high dose probiotics. So these, I think on the biome or BSL, one of the two. So, you know, all of those things together, like he hasn't had any, Hardly, he said he has a little bit of bloating, but other than that, like all of his symptoms that he was experiencing were essentially gone. And so it's like crazy to me about this. He went how many years of his life? I mean, he was like in his 50s or 40s or 50s. And so I just really hope that the more information that we get out there about this, the more patients are going to be able to receive this care and actually get better. You know, and I think about the impact this could have on future. You know, if we think about how the gut is so important to the development of chronic diseases like metabolic disease, if we can catch these things early and address them, like, can we be preventing, you know, more cases of diabetes and, you know, hypolipidemia and like all these other metabolic like, type syndromes? So I think it's really exciting in the place we are and we're, you know, we can, you know, make an impact as healthcare providers. Now, you had mentioned that your, and, and this is kind of what just my ears kind of propped up a little bit here. You said that gut health is your passion. One thing I like to talk yeah. about a lot in uh, just helping, like talking to people about their careers in pharmacy and 
whether they're practicing pharmacists now or they're in school is to like find, like try to find something you're passionate about and follow that. And you might like yeah. end up creating your own job. Can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit about that? Um, give some advice, give some background, like, you know, how you found that maybe, or in terms of like what you did once you found out that that was kind of your passion and what advice you might have for others um, that are looking to find a niche and want to kind of find their yeah. own role in the niche. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of, you know, creating your role, you know, you have to have mentors in, you know, your field, whether that, what, what, whether that's a practitioner that's doing something similar to you or even just like, you know, a colleague that's, you know, business minded or if you're trying to start your own business or, you know, whatever that looks like. But, um, and someone that really, you know, believes in you and you can bounce, you know, some people do like mastermind groups where you're like having conversations with other people and they're, you know, giving you ideas as you're sort of talking out things. So I think those kinds of things are really important to anytime you're trying to step out of a normal, um, you know, pharmacy role, you know, obviously hospital job, you should still have mentors and whether you're working in the hospital or the pharmacy, but I think that's extra important when you're, you know, looking at developing a new role. Um, but, you know, before I really found functional medicine, I was passionate about, you know, people and helping people. And, you know, everyone interviews for pharmacy school and says they want to help people, which is, you know, why we all got into it. And then we get into it and then we realize, you know, you, some situations we don't actually have, you know, the time to really talk to people because you're, you know, so busy behind, you know, the desk or verifying orders or whatever that looks like. And so once I figured out that, you know, I want people to be well and um, I want people to thrive beyond, like, I think one of the things that functional medicine talks about, one of the key principles is that health is not the absence of disease. Like, so it's not just that we don't have a disease to be healthy, we have to, we want to thrive. And so when I have that passion, I like, want people to thrive. Like, how am I going to impact people? I, you know, thought about, you know, the blog and people are, you know, all over the, you know, blogosphere, internet, telling people, you know, to take this or to take that or to, um, you know, do this or exercise this way. But I really feel like there's not as many healthcare providers out there giving information. And so you've got this pharmacist is, you know, a trusted profession. And so I felt like there was really room for, you know, more healthcare providers to be, you know, on the platforms and sharing. And I, there's definitely been a movement recently with, you know, physicians and um, people using Instagram to, you know, share, you know, their experiences or, you know, recommendations and things like that. But um, I think when you're, you know, and I think confidence too is important. So like being able to like sell yourself, you can't, you know, we have, there's, you know, another pharmacist I met at a conference a couple weeks ago that you can't, you have to stop giving away your services for free. And it really is true across our profession. Like so often we've been just doing things, giving advice, counseling is always just part of the practice. Even if a person calls you on the phone and they don't have any business at your pharmacy, so, you know, give them advice because they're calling asking you a question. Um, not that we need to stop doing that, but when we talk about doing these in-depth consultations and spending one-on-one time with patients, we really have to put a value on that and patients have to see a value of that. Um, and, you know, our physician colleagues and people that are referring to us also have to see the value. And so you really have to, you know, show them, you know, what that value is, no matter what it is you're doing. Um, so you also have to meet their needs. So if a, you're going into a practice and you want to, you know, be part of the practice. So in my case, I found out um, that this physician that I work for now was looking for a nurse practitioner. 
um, cause I have my best friend who's the one I work with now. So, um, she needed a job as a nurse practitioner. She was just had a baby and she had just finished her MP program. And so I was networking and I was asking my, some of my drug reps, um, that were coming into the office, my old office and said, Hey, who needs a nurse practitioner? And they said, Oh, this, you know, physician needs a new nurse practitioner. I said, okay. And they're like, well, he really needs, you know, he's got a lot of diabetes patients. And of course, these are diabetes I was talking to. So they're thinking like, you know, um, you know, they're always in there talking to these offices about diabetes. And this um, office was referring out a lot of patients for management of diabetes. And I was like, well, I don't know if she wants to do diabetes, but I want to do a diabetes. You know, I was looking at the time for a way I could go a little bit more part-time and flex my time so I could spend a little bit more time with my kids. And, um... So at that time, I just went to him and I, you know, we went together and I knew he needed a nurse practitioner. Here's my nurse practitioner friend, but here I am and this is what I can do. And this is how you can make money with me doing it. And he was like, okay, let's, you know, let's do it. So I think, you know, sometimes we just have to, you know, be networking, be, you know, looking at those opportunities, be willing to like develop ourselves. And, and so now I'm using that, what I learned in that. And also another job, another hat I wear is I'm, director of patient care services for Profero team, which is a small business company, growing company that um, consulting group that we're essentially putting pharmacists in, in primary care offices or other offices and, you know, sort of expanding the model that I've already, you know, developed and having this team of pharmacist consultants. And eventually, you know, that team will include, you know, functional medicine trained um, consultants as well. So I think, you know, you can turn your passion into your job. So you just have to, um, you know, find the right resources, find the right team and learn how to market yourself. That's awesome. And I, and I think one point that you made was interesting was, you know, recognizing that we had to show our value and that we have to recognize that we need to start being paid for like our services. Uh, one mm-hmm. thing though, one caveat there, cause a lot of times people are very scared to do things like for free Whereas sometimes Uh like that's what it takes to get you to a point where you can start showing your value and then eventually charge for it. So, um, I think that's like one caveat because I do a, I do a ton of things for free, even this podcast, like I'm doing this podcast for free. No one's paying me to do this, but then it opens up other opportunities for (laughs) you to end up, you know, open doors up to to do that. So I think as people are trying to find their, their ideal roles and find new roles, know that it's okay to do some things for free to start and then, you know, right. have patience, uh, let things build up, yeah. build up your reputation, build yeah. up your brand, and then boom, execute yeah. and, and get paid for for your value. Yeah, you just have to have, you know, a plan of when you're going to monetize that. And it, some, it's not going to be necessarily, you're going to know the day that you're going to start, you know, charging. But I think, you know, if you are, for example, new to functional medicine, you might do some consults for, you know, some friends for free and, you know, mm-hmm. maybe they buy supplements through, you know, you or something that gets you a little bit of, you know, start and then you work towards, um, you know, them. I mean, word of mouth is huge too, especially in things like this. And, you know, if people come away and say, you know, this person, like, I don't have VR symptoms anymore because this person traded me and, and walked me through this process. That's powerful. Yeah. Like coming from the person that they, the friend that they've been experiencing these things. And so, you know, a lot of our, our business, you know, from a functional medicine standpoint, it's a lot of, of word of mouth um, and patients telling other patients. And even my diabetes, you know, practice, like people come from different offices to establish with our primary care providers so that I can manage their diabetes because they've heard from a friend that their ALMD got so much better and things like that. And so, you know, don't, you know, I think the 
the things we do for free sometimes do allow those word of mouth opportunities to spread faster because, you know, um, you've had that. But there's, I just feel like there's so many pharmacists continuing to do, I think what I was trying to say is that there's so many pharmacists continuing to do things for free that they haven't monetized, um, even though they could, you know. Yeah, that makes so, sense. so figuring out, you know, can you monetize something and how much it's worth and and things like that is definitely um, important. But certainly at the beginning, no one's, you know, if you don't have any credibility in something, it's going to be hard to pop up a price and say, yes, I want, yeah. um, you know, someone. And even, you know, me, so we're starting to look at like telehealth and things like that. And it's like, well what's the price point where people are going to do this, but it's also beneficial for us and we can actually, you know, cause it takes a lot of time. So what, where's the, the point where it's a good price for the market, but it's also, you know, beneficial for us and trying to navigate those things isn't always, always easy, which is where mentors, you know, can be really um, helpful. And even me like learning social media, like I learned so much from my friend, Lindsay Elmore, who's, um, has a, a lot of wealth of knowledge about essential oils and she's a farm bee and so watching her and her, you know, pursuits on social media, I've learned lens of lot, uh, gleaned a lot of um, insight from that because obviously we don't teach social media class in pharmacy people and most of <laughs> us are, you know, that are in that world or, you know, learning things on our own, you know, with that too. So it's always good to have a mentor there if you're trying to market that way. Yeah. And you almost have to market that way these days, whether you have a brick and mortar business or not. Yeah, 100%. Definitely agree. Now, if you had to kind of look out into the future, 10, 20, 30 years, whatever the case may be, what do you see as the future of functional medicine and maybe like the pharmacist's role in that? Yeah, so, I mean, I really think the future of functional medicine is that I would love and hope that it would be integrated into our curriculums at that point um, so that pharmacists and physicians and you know, nurses and PAs would all have some basic understanding of, and I, and, you know, it's hard because, you know, some people do master's degrees in two years, like how are you going to add it on to the current med school, um, you know, process. But I really, you know, feel like naturopaths are also sort of undervalued in our healthcare system. There's only a few states that recognize them as providers. So I would love to see like that grow because I feel like they bring so much value to the team and that as a team, like, I mean, because pharmacists aren't going to know everything about diagnostics. That's what the physician, you know, the physician is trained the best in. And so, you know, I just hope that in 20 years, if we can have this team of providers of these healthcare facilities where we've got people that can do physical manipulation, we've got, you know, the diagnostic experts, we've got the drug experts along with that, pharmacists would really become, you know, experts in some of these nutraceuticals and herbals and, you know, natural antimicrobials and things like that. Um, And that we would really understand you know, how the nutrient nutrient depletion, you know, can occur and how, you know, we can impact that with, you know, supplementation, but also diet. I feel like nutrition education is lacking across all of our healthcare professions. Um, And so there's a whole nother conversation probably um, about, you know, there's so much difference in opinion on nutrition as well, which is part of the challenge, I think, for implementing the cross healthcare professional um, degree program. But I think, you know, in the future, I think hopefully that would be a little bit better solidified and that as healthcare professionals, we can advocate for better um, transparency in the food industry um, so that, you know, we can hopefully, instead of labeling our sugar-loaded yogurt with a save, you know, or raise money for breast cancer, you know, um, 
research, you know, label that we'd actually look at the content of what's going inside the food and see if we can help prevent breast cancer that way, you know? Like, yeah. uh, that's just an example from, you know, this month. Um, but I feel like, you know, there's so much that we could be doing if we all sort of united on this um, instead of, you know, everybody having their own opinions about things. But anyways, so that's my vision. I don't know if we'll get there in 20 years, but I would well, love Hopefully. It. I'm going to try to help by helping promote the the new organization symposium and your your website so <laughs> hopefully yeah, we'll get there yeah yes all right yes, that'll be great bonus question if you had to take one person out to dinner and that person had to be famous and alive um and ha- so famous being they have to have a wikipedia page who would that be and okay. and why and it cannot be a, a former president because i feel like that, that oh man that was my or at least it can't it can't be trump or or uh, obama anything else beyond that you can okay. it's fair game Okay, so George W. Bush is my um, person that I would take out to dinner. Interesting, why? And so I just think, I mean, politics aside, like, he is a genuinely, like, kind-hearted person. And he spoke with Laura and um, their daughter at um, ASHP about years ago maybe it might have been a little longer than that um but they you know i sat in that room and you felt like you were at their kitchen table just listening to them talk about what happened on 9-11 and how it went down for them um and the calls that he had to make and um you know a lot of their ministry in africa they shared about um the things that they've done over there and just like you know just some of people, like they're good people. They're genuine yeah. people. And I, um, I think politics I aside, like- be, beyond Obama, uh, like if you look at Obama and George W. Bush, like one core common thing they have in common completely outside of politics is that they seem like two really cool people to like hang out with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So I just feel like, um, yeah, just the passion that they have for people and for this country is very evident in their conversation. And I think it would just be a really good conversation. Great. Well, speaking um, of really good conversations, <laughs> Melody, this was a fascinating one for me. Um, what's the best way that uh, people can get in touch with you after the episode if they'd like? Yeah, so you can follow me on Instagram at both at farmtotable.life. So P-H-A-R-M-T-O-T-A-B-L-E dot L-I-F as in Frank E. Um, and my blog is www.farmdisable.life and um, also the functional medicine so at FXMedTE is on Facebook and Instagram and then I'm on Insta- or Facebook also with the Farm Table. And then um, our website for the conference is functionalmedicinece.com or FXMedTE.com so Check us out there, sign up for the conference, and um, we really hope that it will spark some kind of passion for changing how you practice. Now we'll include all that information in the show notes uh, for anyone uh, to reference that later. Again, Melody, thank you so much for your time and insight. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I also appreciate that and being able to share with your audience. I feel way, way more knowledgeable about functional medicine, and I hope you do too. Again, I'm going to have all that information and the links and resources that she provided into in the show notes. Uh, so definitely use that as a resource if you want to check back 
um, and follow along the things that they're doing. Highly recommend you signing up for that symposium uh, event that they're doing, the virtual thing. I think it sounds really cool. Make sure to connect with me on any of your favorite social media platforms. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. And I hope you have a great rest of your day.